Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media Community Radio Station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. For many people, the holidays can be a time of joy, togetherness, and connection. At the same time, for some older adults or anyone experiencing grief, loss, or the blues, extra support may be needed to get through the weeks between Thanksgiving and the New Year. Today, my guest is Dr. Yelena Ketsmanovich, clinical psychologist and founding director of the Arlington DC Behavior Therapy Institute. She's also an adjunct professor of psychology at Georgetown University. Dr. Ketsmanovich will talk about the holiday blues and why it may be more common among older adults. She will also advise how families can combat sadness for their older adult loved ones and help them keep up their spirits during the holidays. So welcome, Dr. Ketmanovich, and thank you for joining me today. And by the way, may I call you Dr. K during this interview? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, and thank you for being here because this is such a timely topic and you know, we've just come out of a pandemic, and it's important even more so to think about how we're all reacting to the holidays. So let me start by asking you, is it normal to feel anxiety during the holidays? It is very normal to feel anxiety and other negative emotions during the holidays. Uh, you know, it, even before the pandemic, this time of year, uh, I've seen people, you know, come into sessions you know I, I work as a clinical psychologist i see a lot of patients different ages uh, i say from uh about 17 to 90 um and it, it predictably around this time of year uh people are feeling more down more stressed more anxious uh than really during any other time of the year and it's a you know on a surface of it it seems a bit puzzling. Uh, it's supposed to be this joyous, uh, you know, celebratory time of the year, and yet uh, when you, you know, when we think deeper about why certain people might be feeling low, it makes a lot of sense because there are, I think, a lot of expectations put on us by society, by others, also a lot of expectations we put on ourselves. Um, to be a certain way during the holidays, to show up in. in you know, very specific ways to uh, have a lot of energy to make everything perfect and to just enjoy everything and be joyous and uh, celebratory and, uh, you know, feel awe and all of these things. And people, you know, can do all of that. And we know that humans are complicated animals and there are reasons why a lot of negative emotions also show up. quite a bit during this time. So I would say that, you know, we we feel anxiety and sadness and holiday blues and a lot of grief and joy as well. And, uh, you know, togetherness and, and, and social uh, celebration, all of that happens. All of that happens during this time. So it's a, it's a kind of, you know, rich period uh, to actually experience very mixed emotions. So let's talk specifically about older adults. Uh, you mentioned that you have older adults in your practice. Why yes. might older adults be more likely to experience these feelings, say, than younger persons? There are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first one, I would say, is the amount of grief and loss that older adults experience on average more than younger folks. Um, you know, at, as we 
approaching 60s, 70s, 80s, um, you know, more, we, we witness more death. We witness, you know, our friends and family members dying. So we're just more likely to deal with grief um, and other losses. You know, when we talk about grief, it's not just mourning somebody's life, but it's also mourning uh, maybe one's physical strength or vitality, or maybe mourning one's like cognitive or intellectual sharpness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are losses of all kinds that just happen more in that population. And grief has been known, and it makes a lot of sense to come with a vengeance, if I could call it that way. You know, the waves of grief uh, come with a vengeance during this time. For, uh, for many reasons, again, it's a reminder that, you know, the loved ones are not with us, so we can't celebrate holidays with them. Um, it's, it's a stark contrast with how it used to be. Um, and also, you know, it, it, there's this contrast with, you know, these images of happy families uh, enjoying uh, you know, celebrations and time together. And for a lot of elderly, they find themselves more alone. They, they, you know, they suffer more, you know, with loneliness and isolation than younger people. And so, you know, th there's this stark contrast between what uh, images are projected on TV and what you read about and all these articles saying, you know, how to have the best holiday season. And, and in contrast, some elderly, especially some elderly, might feel really um, disconnected from that and just really mired in, in, you know, in sadness and loss and grief and looking back and, and, and feeling alone. And I would suspect also when we're thinking about older family members and all of the various possibilities which might cause the holiday blues, I would suspect that not only the family members themselves, but even their caregivers, it could be a spouse, it could be even um, uh, just a relative, do you also see or experience or or find that their caregivers are also showing signs of holiday blues, which might even exacerbate the problem? And if so, why? Uh, I, I find that that's true. I think that caregivers um, generally, you know, very stressed and very burdened um, in, in our society, maybe even more than other societies where, you know, especially familial um, caregiving is kind of a norm, um, you know, in more traditional societies, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty typical for adult kids, for example, to take care of their elderly parents and you have these multi-generational homes, um, in, in this country, that's somewhat less common. And, you know, especially because, you know, a lot of elderly end up in, in different situations of senior living. Um, and, you know, I find that caregivers that I work with, um, again, you know, feel that it, they, their efforts are just not recognized by society or by others, really. The people don't realize how stressful that is. They feel this almost, you know, heightened pressure to... Um, to do to do everything that you know that to make the holidays as good as possible for their uh, for whomever they're caring um, for and for others and also find some time for themselves to have a breather and you know to to relax to decompress and you know those are a lot there are a lot of demands there are a lot of demands I remember uh, writing an article I, I write for the Washington Post often about different psychological topics and I remember writing an article. This, this might have been for actually psychology today um, about invisible labor um, that, you know, for example, a lot of parents do, uh, you know, all this work that's, you know, not even just domestic stuff and buying gifts and making meals. And so beyond that kind of, you know, being like a CEO of households and, you know, thinking in advance of, oh, we are missing this and I have to get this to make this recipe and so forth. And, you know, what was interesting, examples I used um, in the article were parents of young children. And I got so many com interesting comments and I, I actually got an idea that I'm going to write a follow-up article to that. Caregivers wrote to me and said, we feel like this. We feel like we're performing so much of this invisible labor and, you know, nobody sees it. And, and just the amount of stuff to do and the amount of expectations are just higher during this holiday season. So absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's very, very hard being a caregiver. Well, let's turn to the usual symptoms 
that um, seem to be apparent or more apparent for holiday blues. And as you talk about those symptoms, I'm wondering if these symptoms tend to disappear in the new year, say after New Year's Day. What are you seeing? So so there, there are a couple things going on here. Um, first, there is a seasonal depression, let's call it that way. Like, you know, officially, if you meet a bunch of different symptoms, you one might be diagnosed with what's called SAD, um, acronym is SAD, which is, stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. And that is a kind of depression that tends to sort of predictably get worse during colder months when especially light is you know, limited and you know shorter, colder days bring on this seasonal uh, sadness and, and loss of interest and so forth. Um, I think that, um, you know, a relatively big number of people experience sadder mood during colder months, even without meeting, you know, the whole criteria for seasonal affective disorder. You know, I, I, I hear this all the time. I mean, that, you know, people say, oh, the days are getting shorter and colder and there's less light and I'm more inside and I'm moving less and I'm exposed to sunlight less. And that's all going to influence people's mood. So I think for a lot of people, not all, but for a lot of people, the it, it, it the winter months are harder. And then when you superimpose holiday stress on that, you know, the stress of, again, you know, getting gifts, preparing meals, traveling to see family, a lot of family togetherness with people you might not see for the, you know, the rest of the year and all this family dynamics that show up. So, you know, all this holiday stress accumulates on top of people feeling lower during the winter months. Then you can sometimes have, you know, a, a really bad mix and, and feel people might really kind of fall down, right, into, into more severe depression. Um, the symptoms of <clears throat> depression and seasonal affective disorder um, go beyond feeling uh, just low or, or, or depressed and not enjoying things. Sometimes, you know, when, when you find yourself feeling dejected and low most of the day, most days, um, or and or uh, feeling like you really cannot enjoy, um, you know, take pleasure out of things that normally bring you pleasure, um, then, you know, we start to worry, is this depression, you know, really descending? Um, and, and often what comes together with that is changes in appetite. Um, people who are more on a seasonal side of things tend to overeat. Um, the, there's also changes in sleeping. Again, people who are more on a seasonal side of things, they tend to oversleep. So overeating, oversleeping, um, also feeling just sluggish, uh, just kind of, you know, lethargic, having very low energy, uh, as well as, you know, these cognitive um, signs like feeling very uh, hopeless about the future, feeling worthless. Uh, having difficulty concentrating, paying attention, even to movie, for example, watching a movie, uh, and even sometimes having thoughts of, of self-harm or suicide. Um, you know, when that happens, you know, when, when these more severe se uh, symptoms <clears throat> show up, then I definitely suggest people seeking some professional help as well. I wanted to just make sure that if all of the symptoms which you're describing are certainly very important and uh, family members need to be mindful of their loved ones, but if these symptoms that you describe are, say, milder or you don't have all the ones that you are mentioning, is it likely that in that case it really is just a case of the holiday blues, and I don't want to minimize it by saying just the case, but that for a certain percentage of older adults, maybe, and their caregivers, it does kind of go away after all that pressure is off, maybe even after Christmas, but say after New Year's? Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Yes, that, that's that's a kind of a, a, a distinct group of, of folks that I I see for some of them. For some of them, it does resolve. I wouldn't say it kind of resolves overnight. <laughs> uh, you know, it, there's, again, this expectation that, 
when all is said and done, and finally we've cleaned up all the mess from, uh, let's say, Christmas or maybe even New Year's celebration, that, uh, you know, going to overnight feel better. It's usually more gradual than that, but there are absolutely a number of people for whom then, you know, slowly in January, uh, things seem to, you know, uh, feel better. And also there doesn't seem to be this pressure. Again, the, the pressure is less and they can kind of come back to their quote-unquote regular lives. And it is interesting because I remember as I was preparing these questions for this interview, it seemed like, and again, I wanted to run this by you, that maybe some people might be disappointed or a little blue after the holidays because it's it's all over. The, the excitement, <laughs> perhaps seeing the relatives and folks visiting and the music or whatever it is that they're involved with is is done and all we have to do is 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 face bleary uh weary uh winter uh do you see that too i was just curious if it's if that can happen as well that can happen and i see them most often with um people who suffer um with a lot of loneliness and isolation i think that um especially among elderly uh if they live alone far from their relatives and friends um, or in institutional settings during holidays, they might have a chance to see their family. They bring them to their houses. Um, There is, again, the the sense of, uh, again, community and familial closeness. And then come January, it's still dark and cold and they're back to their kind of lonely life. And I think that letdown can be really hard for people. Yeah, I I think it works both ways. So I want to get back to what you were suggesting about not ignoring symptoms of holiday blues or depression in older adults. What do you suggest uh, to our listeners if there does seem to be a more uh, accelerated array of symptoms for for an individual that it's more than just holiday blues what what can family members do if these symptoms of depression are are noted so um i'm just going to back up a little bit and say even noticing holiday blues without a lot of the more serious symptoms that i mentioned like without oversleeping overeating not being able to focus feeling worthless and so forth just you know just if you notice that you know as an as an elderly person that that you're just really not enjoying this as much as you used to enjoy and you're kind of finding yourself sadder and you know you're crying um for big chunks of the day or if your um caregivers or if your family member notice that that's what's going on with you there are some things, more self-help kind of things, that one can do to improve the mood, uh, to improve the outlook. Um, you know, one of the one of the first things that I would say is, um, in a way, pushing oneself or pushing the the relative who who is struggling with holiday blues, just a little bit, to engage. Um, with others, even though they might not feel like it, and also to go outside, walk a little bit, move their body a little bit, and be in, you know under sunshine or even daylight, even though they don't feel like it. So there is this paradox about depression, you see, um, whereupon the, the posture, you know, the sort of behavior uh, that uh, is very, very typical for people who are feeling down uh, is to kind of withdraw, right? Withdraw socially, withdraw from others, be alone, and also not move one's body, you know, stay at home, almost like the, the I, I call it the posture is stay in bed and put your covers over your head, right? I don't want to face the world. I don't feel like facing the world. I don't feel like interacting with others. People often say, I'm just going to be gloom and doom. You know, I'm going to ruin your mood. I, you know, I, I don't want to, and I just don't feel like uh, being with others. And I feel even less like dressing up and going out, you know, even for a little walk. And yet, so so it's kind of depression, sadness and depression push us toward these behaviors of withdrawal and not, again, participate in the world. And yet, we know that that's the worst you can do for yourself when you're feeling down. It's, it's literally 
that you know the isolating from others and not moving the body and not getting any sunlight is is exactly the thing that's gonna basically make your depression worse that's gonna pull you into that downward spiral whereupon you might start feeling all the other symptoms of depression and it's gonna become a more serious problem so the first thing um, I suggest is do it if, even if you don't feel like it. And it doesn't have to be much. You know, it can be just a little bit, just a little bit. It's okay to actually push yourself a little bit to, you know, spend, um, go to the living room if your family is around and spend a little bit time with them engaging. And then maybe you go for a little walk. Even if it's half an hour walk, we know that engaging socially, moving your body, sort of getting out of your head, watching uh, what's going on around you, engaging your five senses as you walk around um, and actually getting some sunlight, which we also know, you know, uh, helps uh, produce vitamin D, which also lowers your depression. All of these things really help. You kind of almost have to kickstart your body. And, you know, and people say, well, will that make me feel better immediately? And, and I said, well, actually not immediately. You kind of have to keep doing it. And, and I don't know, is it, you know, 10th time when you go out and force yourself to chat with your, uh, you know, maybe grandkid, uh, is it 10th? Is it fifth? Is it 15th? But it's gonna, it's gonna happen, right? So it's almost like you have to do it, uh, you know, almost like fake it until you make it a little bit. And then eventually, literally in your body, something clicks. And then you, you know, you go for that walk on, you know, fifth day or 10th day and it's, oh, wow. Okay. This is feeling a little better. So, so that's, that's just kind of a general uh, uh, thing to recognize that, that the sadness tricks us. It tricks us into behaving in the ways that actually are going to make it worse for ourselves. And I was also thinking, Dr. K, that especially in this environment right now that we are still living in, uh, and I'm talking about the pandemic, that that there has been so many feelings that older adults particularly, even those who have been vaccinated or boosted, um, mm-hmm. there's still this concern about safety and, and getting out. Uh, talk briefly about how you are seeing the combination this year of, gosh, on the one hand, we're excited that we're doing certainly more in preparation for the holidays than we were able to do last year, but yet the pandemic is still with us and we're reading about it every day. Are you seeing the whole situation more complicated for older adults particularly, but even families in general? Yes, absolutely. I think that all the typical problems that show up during this time of year uh, have been exacerbated last holiday season as well as this one. Uh, For this one, what I've observed very interesting is that the, this, these expectations that, you know, we're going to have this glorious um, holiday season, or, you know, wonderful holiday parties, great get-togethers. Um, the expectations, I feel, are even higher than usual because people feel like we had to make up for the lost holiday season last year, right? Very often last year, this was even before vaccinations, right? Uh, people didn't see, didn't get to see their life, uh, loved ones. They, you know, they couldn't get their loved ones out of uh, assisted living facilities, for example. People couldn't travel. So there's this, you know, huge pressure, I find. And that's that's never good. Uh, you know, high expectations are never good um, because, you know, we, we're going to, we're bound to get disappointed. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I talk to a lot of my patients about just tempering expectations you know, let's let's put this on a shelf of this expectation that yeah, you have to make up for the last year. Why do you have to make up for last year? Let's let's be here in the moment, mindfully enjoying whatever you're doing, and you know, feeling how you're gonna be feeling. Positive emotions are gonna show up. Negative emotions are gonna show up. Allow all of them. Don't fight them. You don't have to buy into them. You don't have to fight them. Uh, you know, accept whatever comes uh, and shows up and engage the best you can with people around you. And, you know, if if you decide that half of those dishes that you always make for Christmas and so forth are just taking so much energy and maybe the ingredients are harder to uh, come by this year because of the supply chain problems and so forth, so be it, make half of them, you know, get, get half of the other ones prepared. You know, this is not what holidays are about. So, you know, really temper expectations and, 
and really center around what actually matters. Well, that's a good way to end the first uh, half of this program. Uh, in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Dr. Yelena Ketsmanovic, who is a clinical psychologist and founding director of the Arlington, D.C. Behavior Therapy Institute. And we are going to take a short break right now. And just to remind you, you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or CCAT. KW at gmail.com. Welcome back. We're talking about holiday blues. Good time to be uh, listening about what we should do if holiday blues are something that you personally are experiencing or family members. And we're talking with Dr. Yelena Katzmanovich a clinical psychologist with the Arlington, D.C. Behavior Therapy Institute. And in the first half, Dr. K talked about symptoms and what we're having to deal with this year, not only about the holidays, but also the pandemic. So, Dr. K, I'd like to start with asking you, are there practical steps that family members can take to help keep up the spirits of older loved ones and their caregivers during the holidays? Yes, absolutely. So the the first thing I would say is think ab- about meaningful, purposeful way um, that are not going to be too stressful to engage uh, your elderly members of the family. So um, w- you know whatever whatever activity uh, activity might make sense that's not onerous that they're able to do, you know, in terms of any physical or cognitive psychological limitations, being mindful of those. Um, and then, you know, engaging them, not just bringing them, you know, for that Christmas Eve, um, you know, opening the presents and meal and so forth, you know, engage them in preparations, engage them in, you know, creating, um, you know, family albums, maybe reminiscing about previous Christmases or, other holidays, um, you know, have them engage with grandkids if their grandkids are around in some, you know, card playing game that uh, that again is going to bring them together. You know, just think of, of very concrete ways in, in which they can be part of, um, you know, preparing, uh, thinking about what might be good as well as celebrating. And I, what I'm hearing you say is that it's important to have them have some input in discussing these holiday plans rather than just saying, well, this is what we're going to do, mom, or, you know, we're going to do this f- for you, dad, but rather mm-hmm. have them be able to have an opinion. It, it, would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Because, you know, loss of autonomy and loss of ability to control most aspects of one's life is something that all of us struggle with uh, as we age, um, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I mean, you, the you know there are so many more limitations, you know, physical limitations, per, you know, primarily, and then again, could be cognitive limitations. Um, it could be just limitations in terms of where we live. Um, there are a lot of limitations placed on uh, autonomy, which is very, very hard. That's what people, you know, one of the hardest. Uh, things people find uh, during that age is, you know, well, I don't get to make decisions about my life as much as I did before. So excluding them from decision making during holidays is just going to uh, basically exacerbate that, right? Add oil to the fire. So you you have an opportunity here as a caregiver, as a adult child uh, of uh, an elderly relative to include them and to give them at least a little bit back that sense of control and self-efficacy and, uh, you know, and power over decisions that affect their life. 
I was wondering if you could talk about alcohol consumption. Needless to say, in the holiday season, there's more likely to have more alcoholic beverages uh, at parties or even uh, when entertaining at home. Might that be a problem that could uh, make holiday blues worse? What, what, what do you know about that? Well, generally speaking, uh, alcohol is a depressant uh, in terms of uh, what it does to a body. So alcohol absolutely can make um, holiday blues worse. Uh, and, it's, and it's, again, that catch-22 temporarily might feel better, right? When you feel the little buzz, a little, potentially being a little tipsy, uh, no matter what your age you are, um, it might, you know, provide the relief from the stress you're feeling or maybe even from the sadness or grief that's coming over you. And if you continue, first of all, drinking and then, you know, you get more than tipsy, um, or and or um, that evening when you're trying to sleep through the night or even more so next morning, you kind of kind of pay price for it, basically. You know, a lot of um, people have this mistaken belief that alcohol helps with sleep problems, with insomnia. And while alcohol can help us fall asleep, it actually makes quality of sleep worse. And we tend to wake up in the middle of the night. So kind of when that basically alcohol kind of content in our body, um, you know, uh, dissipates in the middle of the night, we are likely to wake up and be wide awake and not be able to sleep for the rest of the night. So actually, in, you know, on, on balance, it's worse for your sleep. And in the morning, I hear this all the time, something that's been really striking for me, you know, working as a, as a therapist for over 20 years, is how many people who are prone to anxiety or depression or both, um, find that the morning after they drank, and not I'm not talking about getting drunk, just even, you know, between glass and three glasses, depending, you know, how your, your gender and how you know how how much you weigh, um, even the relatively small amounts of alcohol can make their depression anxiety worse next morning or even whole half a day next day. And, and it's it's like a clockwork for, for not for all people, but for a lot of people. So I think it's just one of those things that, you know, we have to recognize about ourselves or about our relatives that we care about um, that, you know, if this is Achilles heel, you know, we all have Achilles heel of heels of different kinds, physical, psychological and so forth. But if you know this about yourself and you're prone to some anxiety and sadness and so forth. And, you know, you've noticed that alcohol really does not help, especially the next day, then you moderate it more. Just be mindful of that. Be more careful. You Then you kind of have to accept that, you know, you have to be a bit more restrictive about alcohol than somebody else who might not suffer from the same vulnerability. One thing that I am hearing you say uh, again, with so many different kinds of traditions and activities going on, that it really would be a good idea for family members to take an older adult, a loved one, out for a meal or to a holiday outing like a, a concert or go take a look at the lights, drive around the neighborhood, or or even talk about a favorite food or treat that maybe they had uh, prepared when they were younger. How important is this for an older adult? Well, all the things that you have mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm hearing there's, there's a theme uh, in all those activities. And, and I think it's getting at, you know, obviously creating joyful, uh, happy experiences that elicit positive emotions and sharing them with older adults. That's good. But there's a one emotion in particular that... That, that's, that's, you know, very important. And there's been a lot of research, actually, uh, a little research interest in studying this emotion. And it's an emotion of awe. Um, and, you know, all we defined in the psychology as sort of positive emotion, which um, we feel in response to something extraordinary, something, you know, out of ordinary. In, it can be a person, it can be an object, it can be a situation. Uh, something that's not like easily comprehended kind of logically and it's outside what you normally do, right? And and it's a very transcendent emotion. You know, it gets us out, out of our head. It gets us out of ourselves. It gets us connecting 
um, with, you know, a bigger universe. And, you know, all while we typically talk about it um, in the context of unusual experiences, like holiday, beautiful holiday nights, uh, holiday lights, sorry, um, you know, or uh, a particularly beautiful, you know, holiday display or um, a very unusual, tasty um, lunch that you can take, uh, you know, your, uh, let's say, your, your elderly mother to. Um, those novel di- experience out of the ordinary, they are really important because it can, they jolt us out, out of our everydayness and they are more likely to listen positive experience and the sense of awe. But awe can be uh, felt also, also during the experience they've been, been exposed to many times before, like a type of music that we used to play uh, during Christmas time. And maybe we haven't done it for a while. And just remembering that, hey, when, you know, when we were children, you know, we, we you'd always put the soundtrack and let's dig it out and, and you know, find, see if we can find it and, and just kind of remember, you know, go, go back to, you know, reminisce about, about the past and reminisce about, you know, those beautiful moments of togetherness. So it doesn't have to be something completely new. It's, but it is something that gets us outside ourselves. I'm also wondering, we also, as we get older, realize that our physical appearance has changed and um, we're not quite as attractive maybe as we were when we were in our 20s or 30s. Would you also suggest that might, especially for maybe female older adults, but it could be males as well, maybe some visit to a spa or some way that uh, maybe going and buying a new uh, piece, piece of clothing. Do you think that can be also helpful just in terms of a personal appearance? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think um, what's important is, going back to the earlier point, is to make sure that uh, for an older adult, uh, whether a woman or, uh, or a man, um, to get their input, whether this is something they would like to do. So again, if instead of guessing what they might like, I think it's important to get their input, their suggestions, um, their approval before we do something like that. Um, and you know, if they do feel like it, yes, you know, doing something little different, you know, getting uh, uh, you know a massage, a pedicure, uh, a really nice cut. Uh, for the holidays can absolutely brighten, brighten spirits because, you know, we, we, we do uh, our emotions, our psychological well-being, you know, is connected to how we feel we present in the world. So, yes, absolutely. I, I would say suggest it and, and see, see how, how it lands. Well, and one thing that you are bringing up, which is a nice segue into uh, my next question, which is, is talking with the older adult. We may be making assumptions without really knowing. So what would you say about talking about old memories? Is that important just to ask our our loved ones about things that they did and the memories that they uh, have about earlier Christmases? And and you mentioned this before, but I think it's, it's important uh, to repeat it about looking at family photo albums. Isn't, do you agree that that would be helpful? Yes, it's uh, it's an example of something that we again in psychology call life review, um, or life review. Even there, are even therapeutic strategies that that uh, are based on this idea of life review, which is a very important thing um, when we get at the age, um, you know, as we as we approaching the end of our lives, kind of looking back over our lives, um, reminding ourselves of the good and bad, looking at family albums, sorting them out, uh, creating memory books, you know, uh, scrapbooks, um, you know, putting together some kind of legacy, um, you know, just engaging older adults in this, you know, looking back, reminiscing, um, can be really helpful, can be really helpful. I mean, we, you know, it's often said that, oh, the old people, they, they like to talk about, um, the past all the time. Well, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it because this is the time of life when you're kind of looking back, where have I been, what I've done. And, you know, that helps, you know, and it will help all of us, at, you know, at that age, 
um, you know, find a sense of coherence and, you know, greater meaning and purpose of their life. Uh, so, again, something that we shouldn't push uh, and we should probably nudge and, and suggest uh, to elder relatives, you know, let's let's get those family albums and, you know, maybe not go through 15 of them at once, you know, the overwhelming uh uh, then with anything is not a good idea, of course, because it, it, it might be too much, like for any of us. Um, but, you know, go through a couple of them, or maybe we rearrange them, or, you know, maybe we go through albums and you tell me a story, you know, about any of these photographs, you know, do they jug your memory and, you know, can I, would, would it be okay if I rego- record you as you tell me that story? Or maybe I write down some things, um, and maybe I'll write a little story about it and you can look at it and see if I really captured it, um, you know, or even doing video interviews for, but for grandkids, for posterity, you know, all of this absolutely adds meaning and texture to our, to our lives. Well, and all that said, I also want to ask you about quiet time. I think often that holidays tend to be so chaotic, especially if families, large families get together, there's so much going on that it may be a little overwhelming for older adults. So tell us about quiet time. Why do you think quiet time is necessary for older adults and their caregivers, especially if the caregiver is a spouse, but even older adult children during the holidays? Talk about the importance of quiet time. The quiet time is often quite important. What comes to mind is actually my most recent um, Thanksgiving, where, where I went um, to my son's actually girlfriend's family, and it was a pretty big gathering. And there were a couple of dogs brought to this gathering. And it was interesting, there was an elderly dog that a lot of people remarked um, how well she's doing um given that you know this this there were this, this there was this combination all around them and and there was a lot of commotion and a lot of sounds and sights and and then um somewhere halfway through the evening the dog started to shake like really kind of shake with with just i think overwhelmed with it with maybe anxiety overwhelmed it was just too much and one family member an elderly family member um realized this and and she went and just took the dog and herself to a room and they just took a little nap i'm not sure that she slept but afterwards i talked to her uh and she said you know what you know i was reminded looking at that dog i was reminded that you know things get too much i i love this i'm so happy that we've all gathered and it's been great and i'm glad to rejoin and it's almost like the dog gave her permission to you know, just go to the other room, laid they two two of them laid on the bed, and maybe took a little nap, and then you know re you know re-energized, they came back and and jo- uh, rejoined the festivities. And I thought that was such a lovely story, you know, that that we we all needed really, we all needed, and you know when when we are um, older, we might need it more, and just just to give ourselves permission for that, you know, that's the most important thing, and also hopefully that everybody else uh, is not judgmental about it, allows us to, to take time when we need it. And people are different. People are very different. It depends also if you're an introvert and an extrovert. Introvert of any age will need to probably do this uh, maybe even a couple of times during a long evening celebration. Um, somebody who's more extroverted needs that less. Um, and that's okay. And I'm wondering too, when we were talking about interaction with family members, in maybe in some families there might be a, a, a possibility of expecting uh, quizzing loved ones or older ones, you know, expecting them to recall people's names or specific dates or events. What can be the downside of doing something like that and trying to make conversation, but at the same time? Um, expecting them to think of things or dates or people that they may not be able to do. Just be really mindful uh, of how this conversation is going. I think um, the best advice here is don't get caught up in your head or your, you know, if you're a caregiver, if you're again a a child or grandchild of an elderly person, um, you know, don't 
let your need to remember something specifically or to um, you know know exactly the name you know your agenda don't let your agenda your expectations um, you know make uh, an elderly relative feel bad that they can't remember you know be in the moment be mindful be responsive be you know completely attentive and empathetic and compassionate as you talk to a person who might struggle remembering a lot of things we all do we all do and and it's a normative aging process that memory goes a bit um and it's okay you know don't don't insist on it don't ask many times you know it you know those are again that's those are not usually the most important details narratives stories emotions uh that accompany those stories are really what matters and you mentioned uh emotions why is it important not to expect only happy emotions for older loved ones and, and you know going back to what we you know talked even in the beginning right is that it's very normal for really for people of any age uh even more uh, uh, common for older adults to, to experience really mixed emotions during holidays and, and or during any other you know special occasions like weddings um, like anniversaries like birthdays or anniversaries of different kinds you know it's it's very very normal to experience a plethora of emotions and that you know it is okay emotions there that, you know, I say I, I say that they're never good or bad emotions. They are all emotions. They're all feelings. They're all part of tapestry of life. And as long as we don't judge them to be good or bad, you know, it's okay to have them all. And, and actually research, interestingly, tells us that uh, more often than not, we experience mixed emotions and not just one emotion, you know, whether it's, again, we label positive or negative. And would you say, Dr. K, that in anticipation of being together with our loved ones, older loved ones, that the advice of don't force things and be patient, would you say that's good advice? What would you tell us as a, as a psychologist and, and, and working with older adults and their families? What do we need to know? What do you want to tell us? Uh, be responsive to how things are going you know again going back to this don't have rigid expectations don't should as i call it you know the shoots are never helpful you know this should be done this way this is how you, we should feel this is what uh the you know holiday should be about you know i shoots are most unhelpful should is most unhelpful word i think in english language uh you know the attitude of acceptance and empathy and compassion and uh, responsiveness is what's really most helpful thing to you know permeate everything you're doing rather than you know following some agenda that for whatever reason you've set you know priori. And I I'm also thinking that being patient is is important as well. Absolutely, okay. Patience is a uh, is one of the, the crucial things that we all uh, can get better at. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm wondering in that regard whether, again, it's, it's difficult for younger people especially to really understand what older people are experiencing. It's, it's often, I always think, a little easier for older people to understand what young people are doing, although maybe in today's age, not so much. But I think there's a better understanding of older to younger than younger to older. Uh, do you find that to be true as well? Um, possibly, possibly. I mean, you know, logical explanation, of course, is that everybody who's older has been young at some point. Exactly. Right? Uh, and not the other way around. And I think that, I think that um, younger younger, you know, children, teens, young adults can really learn a lot and, and, and be enriched by spending more time with the elderly relatives. I think that um, in our country, unfortunately, because it's such a huge country and we very often live further away from relatives, it is not common to grow up, for example, around your grandparents. I come from, um, 
ex-Yugoslavia from a you know mid-sized city where um, almost everybody I knew either lived with their grandparents or their grandparents were five or ten minutes away. And, you know, I, I will often say my grandmother raised me. I mean, my parents were too busy, <laughs> you know, working and, and, and advancing their careers. And it was my grandmother who, you know, with whom I would sit for hours sometimes after school. And, oh, my goodness, I would not change that uh, for, for anything. It's, it's, it's so beautiful, I think, the connection between, you know, really young and, and elderly. I think that there's so much wisdom. There's so much love. There's so much uh, life uh, affirming uh, kind of things that you can learn from your older relatives. So I, I think um, just just you know talk to them, find find out, let let them tell you about the things from the past that they would like to tell you. I I bet you will not be bored. Well, I last question, and maybe you've already answered it. I was going to say the best resources to learn about holiday blues. Maybe it's just talking with your loved ones. But anything else you want to share? Absolutely talking with, with your loved ones. And I would say I would just uh, share a site of uh, good resources. So I actually spent some time really um, curating, I suppose, collecting uh, the best resources just for really science-based, uh, accurate uh, information on psychological uh, problems and well-being. Uh, on actually our institute's website. So if you go on a website, just arlingtonbehavioraltherapy.com. So just spelled out arlingtonbehavioraltherapy.com. We have a resources page. And again, best sites that I have compiled over years of being a therapist, being a psychologist, like a site of Association of Behavioral Cognitive Therapies, um, the American Psychological Association, they have a wonderful topics page, Society of Clinical Psychology, again, have really beautiful, um, you know, uh, uh, pages about different problems and treatments that are actually empirically supported. National Alliance of Mental Illness is a great one as well. So, you know, I, I talk a little, I, I say about what the resource is, I talk a little bit about it, and I give a link to it. So that's a kind of one place where you can find uh, many resources that really can be helpful during this time and in general. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Yelena Katzmanovich, clinical psychologist and director of the Arlington, D.C. Behavior Therapy Institute, for joining me today. If you'd like to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com, and there access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content. And of course, you can also access the Aging Matters podcasts, which are now posted on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and to learn more about that company, visit inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today, and remember... Age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.